Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Ogres. And uh, our special, I guess we could call this our special COVID-19 evacuation fire service or something along those lines. Um, thank you all for joining us this morning. I hope that we can be uh, of great service to you as we gather together and sing God's praises and be reminded of His goodness to us through His Word. And uh, wow, so much has happened this last week, hasn't it? Um, let me try and think of a couple of announcements just to keep you informed of all that's, that's going on. Um, uh, as far as uh, the fire goes, thankfully all of our members' houses here, you know, praise the Lord, they're still there. We're thankful for it. They've been able to get, uh, you know, uh, good lines on this side, so we're thankful for that. Let's keep praying for the firefighters. And um, an ongoing service opportunity that we have here locally um, I've been working with the, I'm not really supposed to say their names, I guess, because this is going to go online, but uh, the big humanitarian uh, relief organization, if I said the name, you would recognize it. Um, they have a red in their name, I'll just give you that again. <laughs> um, basically, what they're doing is, uh, what we're doing is we're taking three meals a day to the evacuees. So we're passing out anywhere from 700 to 900 meals a day. Um, I'm there in the morning for breakfast and then also for lunch. And uh, we are in desperate need of help the longer this, this, uh, this uh, situation goes on. So uh, Pastor Craig from EV Free is working on putting the teams together to get them lined up. And I'm meeting them down there at the community center here in Oakhurst. So if that's something that you would be interested in helping with, uh, we, we will put you to work. And uh, it's been a great opportunity to, to serve those who are in desperate need in our area. Um, personally, I think our church has been involved in at least 2,000 meals going out this week. And I'm going to say it's probably closer to 2,500. So, and who knows what that number is going to be going on. So uh, thank you all. I know many of you have served. And uh, so thank you for your help there. And if you want to keep serving, we could desperately, need, we could de desperately use your help there. Um, also, uh, when, it, when it comes to our... Uh, our missions offering for the month of September and October, uh, we take, we're taking up the California missions offering. And so those envelopes are in the back if you would so choose to give to that. And that goes to help really do the work, some of the work that we're doing this week. Uh, if you go in the fellowship hall, you'll see that there's cots and there's all kinds of waters and, and things back there because we've got a California Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Team who's staying here. So if you see yellow shirts walking around Oakers, Mariposa, that's who they are. So, uh, so uh, that's where some of that funding goes. And um, I think that's it, really, by way of announcement. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, our welcome and call to worship this morning is going to come from Psalm 147. Psalm 147, we'll begin reading in verse 7. God's Word says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Verse 13. For He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. 
He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command, to, his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his coal? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes the, his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt with us with any other nation. They do not know His rules. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before You now this morning with so many thoughts, so many concerns, Lord, for, for many here today, even a lot of anxiety and, and cares that, that we have concerning our loved ones, concerning our properties, uh, concerning all that is going on around us. And so, Lord, we come before you now and we, we lay those cares at your feet because you care for us. Father, we ask that you would intervene in this midst of this disaster, that you would please uh, help continue to strengthen those who are fighting these fires, that, that they would have favorable conditions and that you would help them continue to, to have the strength to, to persevere, Lord. Father, we, we thank you that this disaster hasn't been worse. Uh, Lord, we thank you that at least on our end of this fire, we are grateful for, for, for what, what they have been able to do. And so, Lord, may that continue to be the case. Lord, we thank you for the numerous opportunities that we've had to share the gospel with these evacuees this week, to, to pray with them, to, to help them financially, to, to feed them and to clothe them. Lord, may you use those actions, use those words that we've been able to speak into their life for your glory and for the advancement of your gospel among the people here. Lord, we know that you are in control and we trust you and we praise you and we thank you that even in the midst of this disaster, that you are good and that you have a perfect plan in all that is going on. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you are able to, would you please stand and join us in singing? Good morning. Very happy to see you all this morning. We have guests with us. Alicia and Nianza are going to be playing violin with me. So we're super happy to have them. Uh, we're going to sing All I Have is Christ.
We read together. Well, if you turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Just in light of everything that's going on, um, and uh, many of our church people being scattered all over the state, I figured we would take a break from our series in Philippians and look at Luke 13. Luke 13, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Stand with the sense of honor that God has spoken to us in His Word this morning. God's Word says, There were some present at that very time who told Him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that because Christ lived the perfect life for us, because He died on the cross for us, and because He rose from the dead for us, that we can still praise You and say, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Father, fill us with hope. Fill us with strength. Fill us with courage. And Lord, fill us with joy in the midst of all of the suffering that is going on around us. Lord God, I ask that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart may confess that Christ is Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday morning as we gathered here, it looked kind of similar to how it looks right now, right? As far as the darkness. Actually, it may have been darker last week. But as I think every single one of us knows, there was a fire that was started to the east of us and it grew rapidly. And I think the last report is there's about 200,000 acres that it is consuming. You know, often when we hear of tragedies, either in our midst or near, near or far, whether it be tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes, or fires, and we hear of horrific numbers like 200,000 acres but we, we, we are we often uh, we hear of those tragedies and they seem so far away but this disaster like what we've seen this last week suddenly all of those numbers begin to hit really close to home you know this fire might not have destroyed all of our homes here or our church building here but it could have Many will ask these questions, uh, ask numerous questions about why is this happening and what's going on and what is God doing in the midst of it. And we as believers, we as a church need to be there to support them. 
whether it be financially or prayerfully, or be there to serve them. You know, there will come a time, absolutely, and there has been an, an numerous opportunities for us to speak into their lives. So may we be faithful witnesses in the midst of this time that we are in. And so, friends, in the Bible, we know that God is both good and He is sovereign. God is both good and He is in control. How do we reconcile those two truths? when we have an event like this one that we're facing today? How do we reconcile those two truths, that God is both good and He is in control? Well, my hope today is I want to strengthen you, not by glossing over the broken and sin-cursed world we live in. This morning, I, I hope to give you hope, rock-solid, firm, biblical hope. Not just hopeful feelings. No, but biblical hope. That's why we've taken a break from Philippians and we turn our attention to Luke 13. Why do events like these happen? Do they have a purpose? Often we don't know all of their purposes, but we can know some of their purposes. And we see that in Luke chapter 13. In Luke 13, in verse 1, Jesus is approached by a group, and they're there to ask Jesus questions. There's been this terrible event where Pilate, the, the Roman ruler of the area, he killed a number of people in a terrible way. They were offering sacrifices, and he killed them. And then he mixes their blood with their sacrifices. They, they were at the place, likely at the temple, the place that they viewed as the absolute safest place in the world, and yet they are put to death. These people were most likely uh, coming here to Jesus to question Him, to see, well, who is at fault here? Kind of like in the account in John chapter 9, where we have the man born blind. There's a number of people who go to Jesus and they say, well, well, who's responsible for his blindness? Is it, is, it, is it this man's sin that's responsible or did his parents sin? And he's paying the punishment. But Jesus said in John 9, he said it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So these here in Luke 19 are, are coming to Jesus looking for answers. Answers to the question of, of why and, and how could this happen? And then Jesus, how does he respond? Well, we see that Jesus responds in verses 2 and following. He responds not with some fancy argument for why or how or what. No, he tells them to repent. Look with me at verse 2. Luke 13, verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way. In other words, he, he's, he's addressing that question right off the top of their, right, right, off the, right off the bat. He's saying, do you think they suffered because they were worse sinners than you, or worse sinners than those around them? And he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise Jesus is saying that the reason why these sorts of disasters happen is so that we might 
repent. So that we might turn from our sin and turn to Christ. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise so he, he now speaks of another tragedy that had happened in this area, this tower falling upon people. And he's saying, did, did the tower fall upon them because they were more sinful than others? The answer is no. These tragedies happen in our life. They don't happen upon people because they are worse sinners than all the others around them. No, the, the purpose that we hear of these tragedies is so that we would see that one day judgment is coming. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, unless you, unless you repent, you will perish one day as well. He's saying we must turn and trust in Him. You know, Jesus doesn't answer a, a fancy and long philosophical argument as to why bad things happen. No, He offers repentance. And in essence, he is offering himself. Why, friends, do these tragedies happen? Why did some people in the Cascadell Woods area, why did some lose their houses and not others? Why did some in Shaver lose their houses and not others? Why did some lose their houses in Huntington and Big Creek and, and all of these other areas and not others? Was it because the ones who houses stayed, they were more righteous? Jesus would say no. He's saying these tragedies happen so that we would trust in Him. These tragedies are meant to be a, a shadow of what is to come. They foreshadow in one sense the judgment of God that is going to come one day. The, the tragedies of life are uh, a warning that final judgment is coming one day for the entire world. And one day we will all stand before the Lord God and give an account of our lives. And these tragedies are meant to drive us to the gospel ourselves. We must ask ourselves, are we repenting? Are we trusting in Christ ourselves at this very moment? And if you are, then we need to ask ourselves, are we calling others to the hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ? Friends, these trials and these tragedies teach us many truths. They teach us that this world is not routine. In a moment, everything can change. Years ago, there was a, a fire that, that went through the Bass Lake Heights area, and I know we had some members who lost their house there, and, and it, was a, it was a really, really difficult time. And I remember there was a reporter that asked me, because it was like week after week after week, we had fire after fire after fire, and a reporter asked me, have these fires become routine? And, and I remember telling her, these sorts of tragedies are never routine. And we saw that last week, right? In a moment, everything can change. In an instant, our lives can be completely changed. Our lives 
That's my phone. <laughs> How about that? Have you ever had that happen? Uh, having so many phone calls this week with the with volunteers. Sorry, man, that's awful. <laughs> Silence your cell phones. <laughs> but in an instant, everything can completely change. Our lives, as much as we want to think they are routine, our lives are not routine. We have no guarantee in this life. And if we haven't learned that in 2020, I don't know what we're going to learn, right? As much as we like to think that our bank accounts, our jobs, our homes will protect us, they won't. What we are guaranteed is that one day, barring the return of Jesus Christ, every single one of us here this morning will die. And as Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after death comes judgment. These tragedies, and knowing that we will all stand face to face before the Lord God one day, should drive us to the gospel. The fact that Jesus came and He lived a perfect life, and that He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin and death. Friends, the greatest question I can ask you sitting here this morning is, are you right with God? Are you saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ? We're going to look in a moment about what the Bible says about suffering and, and the ways in which God uses suffering in our lives. But the greatest question we need to be asking ourselves this morning is, are you right with God? Have you trusted in Christ as your only hope in life and death? Years ago, there was a number of tornadoes that went through the state of Arkansas, and 34 people died. It tore through a town, and there was a number of, of believers who worked at a nonprofit there, and they lost their homes. And I remember there was a Christian couple that I read about named Dan and Kristen, and they, they lost their home. And as Dan saw the tornado coming towards his house, he grabbed his children and his pets and they hid in a closet. And as Dan and his family huddled in the closet, he turned to each and every one of his children and he said, This is the day of salvation. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the time to do it. Friends, that's what tragedies are meant to do. They're meant to call us to God, to drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we want to talk about the wind shifting, we want to talk about containment percentage, or we want to talk about acres, and my goodness, I've talked about all of those things this week, and we've all become expert meteorologists this week, right? But we must see tragedies and disasters the way in which Jesus the way in which Jesus does. And he says in verse 5, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Friends, are you right with God this morning? Have you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ? And have you been justified by the perfect life, death, and resurrection of the Lord 
Jesus Christ? Can you answer that with an affirmative yes this morning? All too often, we are reminded that we live in a broken world. That whether it be tornadoes, or whether it be tsunamis, and earthquakes, or fires, or COVID-19, we are reminded that we live in a world that has been broken by sin. A, a world that, as we saw in Genesis, as you see in Genesis 3, as you read the Bible, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, sin entered the world. And along with sin, all of the brokenness we now experience today. But I want us to take a moment and look at three ways in which God uses suffering or God uses disasters in our lives. First of all, God uses suffering and disasters in our lives to draw us closer to Himself. First way God uses suffering and disaster in our lives is He uses it to draw us closer to Himself. In the book of Job, the first chapter... Job, the, 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 the man there, he lost everything. Well, almost everything, except for his wife who told him to curse God and die. But Job lost almost everything. Job was a righteous man. When you think of a good guy, Job would have been the guy that came to mind. Yet he lost everything. His friends come to him in the book of Job and they say, well, he must have done something wrong to deserve this, to bring this disaster upon himself. But God himself in chapter 1 verse 8 of Job says that he was blameless and upright. By the end of the book though, the book of Job, we end up seeing that even though Job had done nothing explicitly wrong to bring that disaster upon himself, he ends up repenting. Why? Because of who God is. He understands that he was actually deserving of nothing. And through that suffering, he is drawn closer to God. He's brought closer to the Lord. Job says in chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I had heard of you, speaking to the Lord God. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Friends, sufferings and disasters in our life is one of the means that God uses to change our lives for the better. These disasters are meant to draw us closer to Him. You know, no one sitting on a beach in the midst of vacation has ever said, that beach changed my life. I'm not saying that vacations are bad. My goodness, I think that once we get through all of this, Lord willing, I think all of us need to go on vacation. I'm not saying vacations are bad. But at the end of our life, we're never going to say, you know, that time that I was sitting there in that beach chair changed my life. Often, God uses the sufferings and the trials of our lives to change us and to draw us closer to Himself. So that's the first way that God uses suffering and trials in our lives for the better, is He uses them to draw us closer to Himself. The second way that God uses disasters in our life is it causes us to hate sin. Trials and hardships and tragedies remind us of the fact that we live in a world that's been broken by sin. Therefore, these tragedies should cause us to hate our sin all the more. 
You know, in regards to responding to these tragedies, we can go online and we can clip through the pictures and see all of the destruction, all of the scorched earth and, and all of these homes that have been lost. And then we can easily click over to immorality. The way not to respond to this tragedy is to go on and look at all of those images of destruction and then click over to pornography. Because we see what has happened because of sin, the destruction that's been caused by sin. And then when you do that, when you click over to immorality, you turn and you run to that very same sin that destroys. We see the results of sin and then we, we run to that very same destruction. Or, or maybe, maybe we see these images of destruction and then we, we still go on gossiping and lying about other people. Friends, may you see how God is using these disasters to cause you to hate your sin all the more. Colossians 3 verse 5 calls us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Romans 8 verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Friends, these tragedies remind us of the reality of the sin-cursed world that we live in. And we are to run from sin. We are to be killing sin. Putting to death whatever is immoral in our lives. So that's the second way God uses uh, suffering in our lives is it causes us to hate sin. But the third way God uses suffering in our lives is He uses it to point us to the good of what is to come. To point us to the good of what is to come. These tragedies point us to the goodness that is coming one day. In the midst of this broken world, we are pointed to another one that is to come. Turn with me to Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. These trials, these difficulties, these hardships should cause us to long for the day in which God is going to make all things new. Revelation 21, verse 1. We'll begin reading verse 1. We'll read on down through verse 5. John is speaking there and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. See, we're given a glimpse right there of how one day all of these hardships, all of these tragedies, all of these sufferings, all of these diseases, all of the devastating results of sin will be gone. The bitterness that we taste in this life now will not be bitter for eternity. 
our bitterness is going to be turned into joy because we know that this is not all there is. But friend, are you living as if this life is all there is? Friends, we're able to have hope, we're able to have joy in the midst of these fiery trials because sweetness and joy with God will be for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. As he says there, Behold, I am making all things new. So friends, God uses suffering, He uses trials, He uses tragedies to draw us closer to Himself, to hate our sin and to point us to the good that is going to come one day. So we can have hope and we can have joy and we can have courage because God is in control. God is sovereign. We have hope because God is in control. All throughout the scriptures, we are reminded of God's sovereignty. Of the fact that Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. You know, often we say, it's kind of cliche to say, well, everything happens for a reason. We say that a lot, right? But why? Because God's in control. He rules and He reigns over all and He preserves all of His people. Every single dust molecule or piece of ash is exactly where God wants it. God is in control. That is why we can have hope in the midst of this suffering. You know, often it's asked, what it, why is, if God is sovereign, then why do these things happen? Uh, there's a, a fairly popular book a number of years ago written by a, name, a man by the name of Harold Kushner called when, why, when Bad Things Happen to Good People. Maybe you've heard of it. And his premise behind the book was to examine when bad things happen, why are they happening to good people? And this is what he concludes. At the end of the day, he boils it all down to, at the end of the day, he says some things happen for no reason at all. In fact, some things happen that God didn't want to happen. So in other words, he's saying that God doesn't have any plan in these sufferings that you face. So that's it. At the end of the day, your comfort in life is that. The comfort that that man Kushner is giving his people is that some things you go through have no purpose at all. And God doesn't want them to happen. I don't know, at the end of the day, that doesn't give me any hope of going through suffering. I find no comfort in a God, a little g God, who allows things to happen for no reason at all and he's not in control. Why even get out of bed in the morning if God cannot do anything? Even worse, that's exactly the opposite of what the Scriptures teach us. In Matthew 10, verse 29, verses, uh, verse 29 and 30, it teaches that God is in control, even of insignificant events. Matthew 10 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not even one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Somebody like me, it's easier to count the hairs on my head, but not for some of you. 
God is in control. He is sovereign even in what we would seem to be insignificant events. So brothers and sisters, friends here this morning, have hope that God is sovereign. He knows what He is doing. He is in control. I also want to leave you with this hope. We have hope in the midst of this situation because of Jesus Christ. Because of His life, His death, and His resurrection seals the resurrection of every single believer one day. So why is this tragedy happening to some and not to others? I don't know exactly why. I don't know why some face more trials and hardships in their lives than others do. But we know that the scriptures teach that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We don't know why some of these things happen to others and not to some. But we do know how we are to respond to trials and we are to respond to these tragedies. We do know that there is an answer to these tragedies and to this brokenness that we see around us. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, We'll read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6, and skip on down to 20 through 21. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to see fist into the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Skip on down with me to verse 20. Paul is saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Friends, if God uses the greatest act of evil this world has ever seen, the truly innocent, his truly innocent son, Jesus Christ, that his death on the cross, if he uses that greatest act of evil for our greatest good, his resurrection, then certainly he can use the disasters, the sufferings, the trials, and the difficulties that you face in, in your life for good. Why is this happening? We've seen that the Bible does not always focus so much on the why, but the how. How do we respond? How do we respond to suffering and disaster? Tim Keller, a pastor, put it this way. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything He knows. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything He knows. So friends, how is God using this present situation that we find ourselves in to bring you closer to Himself and also use this as an opportunity to share the hope of Christ with others? Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we can have in the midst of of the suffering in the midst of the disasters we see around us, in the midst of the inconveniences of, of 
many of us who've left our homes. In the midst of the inconvenience of all of this smoke, Lord, we still recognize that you are at work in our lives. You are at work in these communities. And Father, help us to be faithful lights and witnesses here for your glory and for the spread of the gospel among the communities here in our mountain towns. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us in the
dismissed. And uh, friends, if you've been evacuated or displaced because of the fire, if you have any needs or financial needs, let me know. I've got a number of gift cards that's been given to us to pass out to those who've been evacuated. So if you know of any needs, uh, let's, uh, let me know. I'll be in the back. Also, some good news. Uh, this area is no longer under the evacuation warning, so praise the Lord for that. I guess that's the phone call I was getting. So, uh, so let's, pra let's praise the Lord for that, and may that continue to be the, 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 the case with all these other areas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we're able to say that it is well with our souls, no matter what we face in this life. Lord, we thank you for that good news so far that... That, that this area is no longer under the evacuation warning. And may that continue to be the good news that we get. That, that these orders would be lifted and that people would be able to return to their homes. Lord, we pray for the safety of all of these firefighters and the first responders, whether they be the EMTs and the, 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 the deputies and police officers who are working. Father, protect them. Give them strength to persevere. Lord, be with all of those who are working with the Red Cross and various disaster agencies to help meet the needs here locally. Father, help us to be alive. Help us to, 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 be, uh, to tell others of the hope that they can have in Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you.